Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Two years on from the start of Russia's full-scale invasion and 10 years since their initial one. Two years ago, the UPL was gearing up for its return from the winter break, but it never did. However, 24 months later, the league has resumed from its annual mid-season pause at the second season running. The business end of the 23-24 season is underway. Our teams may be out of Europe and the transfer window is winding down, so anticipation turns towards cup finals, medal races, relegations, promotions, and national team tournaments. The next few months are going to be intense, both on and off the pitch. This week, we're really happy to welcome British-Ukrainian Jerry Lushka, a former Manchester United scout and current youth scout at the English FA, to the show. He'll be joining us a little later on to share some insight into the talents of Ukrainian descent that are in the ranks of some of England's biggest academies and how some of the more senior stars are getting along too. Well, where else should we start the show than the end of the European campaign? <laughs> As we said, it came to a sad end in February for one of the earliest times in recent history with Shakhtar valiantly going out against Marseille. Andrew whisked himself down there for a quick 24-hour round trip, enjoying some the lights on the Mediterranean coast that were, I think, slightly more enjoyable than what he saw in the stadium. However, Andrew, what was it like down there? And it was uh, an interesting experience. First time I've been in Marseille since Euro 2016, when similarly at that time I was watching Ukraine lose their third game of a European Championship campaign against Poland 1 0. Um, a famous game where I think the biggest highlight of it was where, or low light, should I say, actually, when Anatoly Timoshuk came on in uh, added time uh, to get his now not record, uh, record camp back then. But yeah, I was in Marseille. Let's just say not the safest of cities in certain parts, that's for sure. A lot greyer than when I was there last because I was there back in June, July, and this was February. bit wet, a bit grey, and I don't know, there was maybe not trepidation, but I, I had hopes that Shakhtar would somehow get through and face one of the four out of the eight teams that were British in the next round. Sadly, we didn't get that far. 
Uh, all started really well with Sudakov getting a penalty and scoring it. And those first 20 minutes, Shakhtar played really quite well. And then Marseille got into it a bit more. Shakhtar with three kind of individual unforced errors were ultimately what made them pay the price. And defensively, they didn't look too good, especially in the middle because Bondar was suspended. Matvienko was playing on the right-hand side of a two-centre-back partnership with Rakitsky. And Matvienko is left-footed, not too reliable on the right. And we saw sort of the fruits of that, especially in the second goal, when Rakitsky and Matvienko got into a bit of a mix-up. One of them was jumping and then Saar finished accordingly. And similarly, going forward, Shakhtar didn't have that potent edge. Even more, they looked a bit more dangerous in the Champions League campaign towards the end of it, of course, than they did over the two legs as well. Eganaldo for me, impressed, but final ball, not fully there. And same old story for Zubkov. He's so hot and cold. He's he's really, <laughs> you know, exciting to see, but then he just really can't finish, for example. Like he scored a few goals in the mid-season winter training camp, but it's like you can never see him reciprocate that or, you know, replicate that in these competitive matches. And yeah, as a result, Shakhtar are out. Marino Pusic, he was quite sombre. I think he was also slightly pissed off with his team uh, in the press conference after the game. But he says, well, that's that. He's proud of his team. They got that far. Now they're going to be focusing on, obviously, the domestic competitions. Obviously, it means another less, well, less of a window now for Jorge Sudakov or Georgie Sudakov as he's positioning himself in the in the <laughs> English-speaking sphere that, uh, you know, to show himself before the summer, obviously, with potential Euros and Olympics underway. But now he's going to have to do that on a domestic stage and of course beyond the 40, 40 million bid that he can he got this window you'd struggle to see without obviously the euros how he'd be able to build that price up um in the next few months you know just purely based on obviously the competition he's going to be facing in the UPL and the Ukrainian cup so it's a shame um and it's also even more detrimental i think not from Shakhtar's point of view, because they've essentially been carrying Ukrainian football in the coefficient rankings for the past few years, is the impact on the coefficients and the tables of, you know, how it works for the 25-26 season. So not not the season that's coming up next year, but the one after that. What, we, what are we going to see? As a result of Shakhtar going out this early, but also Zoria going out of the group stage and none of the other three teams qualifying for the group stage on top of poor performances over the past few years from other sides. What are we going to see? Well, we will be seeing four teams. Uh, I think it's going to be, we're going to see one team uh, go into the Champions League. That'll be the winner of the uh, UPL. And that, most likely they'll be going in at the second qualifying round. 
Next season, Shakhtar have still got the, I guess, fullback. That if they win the Ukrainian Premier League this season, they will automatically go into the group stages because of um, best of the rest kind of coefficient table that UEFA are currently doing with the new format that's going to be starting from next season where there's going to be 36 teams. Second place or the winner of the Ukrainian Cup will go into go into the Europa League. I'm not 100% sure on where they will start in that. It possibly might be in the second qualifying round as well, which is really bad because it means that Ukraine actually have no more guaranteed spots in Europe group stages from now on or from 25-26. And then the final two, third and fourth, or second and third, if we're going to be doing, if the cup holder is someone else, will be in the Conference League. And I think they enter in like the first round qualifying or second round qualifying. So sadly, from a European perspective, it's looking pretty bleak. And we know how difficult it is to go start from the first qualifying round or even the second and to make it into, you know, a group stage. Again, some of the teams you're going to be pitted up with, you're probably not going to be seeded. It's going to be really tough. And I don't know, I think it's like the first time in 15 years or something like that where Ukraine will have four representatives in Europe. And I mean, back then it wasn't even that bad. Well, actually, no, it might even be 23 years because I think it was the last time like 2000, 2001 or something. So it's a very long time since. And what's going to happen next? That That's the question. Is it going to have a negative impact? Or is it maybe it's a positive on the fact that at the moment, even with five places, we only got two people getting into the group stages. And the Zodia, that was on a technicality of them actually losing their playoff game and dropping into the Conference League and then not performing particularly well there. So it's like, I don't know. What's your take on it, Ray? Do you think that this is a the bottom for Ukraine? Sort of, is it a decline, or is it like I've just mentioned? It maybe it's a positive that Ukrainian teams might have to buck up a bit more. It makes it's going to make the UPL more competitive because people are going to be wanting to win the UPL now to try and qualify for Europe. And of course, because because of the fact that there's no automatic making the group stages, like having getting third place was back in the day or winning the Ukrainian Cup. We're never going to have a repeat, or at least for the near future, we're not going to have a repeat of Desna versus Zorya, or even like last year where Dnipro won against Zorya. So, you know, we keep it a positive, right? Nowhere with nobody qualifying for Europa League as well to immediately get knocked out by some random teams. Because why would you proceed to the group stage? You already did it. That was it. And now you're saying that this stage is eliminated. So we're not going to have such episodes when the teams are not willing to, let's say, reach higher uh, stages, right, in the in the table. So we were talking about the problem last year in our football that the teams just don't want to promote, the teams don't want to get medals, teams don't want to uh, reach uh, highest heights. Now it's supposed to be fixed, which I really doubt because we're talking Ukrainian football and uh, looking at the new people in charge of it, 
I'm talking Andrei Sushenko, which we all have high hopes for. I think we need to be talking about either we uh, stick to our better football, as you just as you mentioned, and I repeated, or we're sticking to improving the product, which I am a fan of, being abroad, being across the ocean, and caring about how people see the Ukrainian football as an industry, entertainment industry, let's say, because the world moved on, right? And uh, right now we're we're looking at Upel Tabe with their studios, with all the familiar faces from all around the football journalism um, sort of bubble. Maybe, Andrew, we're going to see you then in a while. But uh, that's the first step, I guess. Personal opinion, I don't think it's bottomed that yet. When you look at the coefficient rankings, it's the last five years that are taken into consideration. And five years ago was the top score in the ranking and when you look at the nations around ukraine presently at the in the table ukraine are going to drop a lot more points than them at the start of the next season which makes catching up a lot harder um i, I think it's almost as many points that they've earned this year they are going to be in deficit to the teams the nations around them next season so you think it's going to be a tough job. It's going to be a very tough job. And with all the other difficulties and the team's face at the moment just existing, um, let's just see how the top clubs can fly Ukraine's flag in Europe and see how far they go. It may be a discussion for another day, the benefits of Shakhtar being in the Europa League or one of the lesser tournaments compared to the UCL to try and just keep Ukraine's presence there deeper into the tournament than February that we've seen this year. Because, yeah, the last few years have been tough watching for basically anyone bar Shakhtar, and I include Dinamo in that. It's it's not been pleasant, even that UCL season where it was, what, six out of six and... Was there a goal, Ray? I'm pretty sure your prediction was right and there were no goals in the in the six matches. But anyway, uh, moving on, we've got all positive things to talk about. I think, gents, if you'll indulge me a little bit, as Ray was, you know, quite right to raise, you know, the potential of Shevchenko's announcement, I think we should discuss a little bit more about the new face of Ukrainian football after the elections last month, before we go on to uh, the games that have took place already. I mean, Andrew, come back to you here. He's been, it was, crikey, was it a month ago since you were there at the, the election and everything that went on there? It's, it's been a whirlwind first month for him in charge, hasn't it? He's been very busy per se, on the sort of uh, front of things, made a lot of trips and visits and meetings across Europe and across Ukraine. So he, you know, a week into his tenure, he was meeting with UEFA and FIFA, met with Cheferin, met with Infantino. And that was, I guess, positive progress 
albeit there are still many problems with UEFA and FIFA that will need addressing by Shevchenko and I think and his and his team for sure going forward, especially on the context of what we were just talking about, coefficients. Russia every season is getting 4.333 coefficients every year because that was their worst of the past five seasons coefficients, right? So it's like, how long is that going to last for? Will they carry on getting 4.33 for indefinitely? And when you put it into context, this season, Ukraine, with Shakhtar and Zoria and obviously the qualifying points you get and all that kind of thing, Ukraine only reached 4.100. So that's a lot less. And as Adam says, after the next fourth at each year, the five-year cycle expires and then it's like one less and then moves on to the next season. So that big campaign, I think, in 2019 or 2020, when Shakhtar, I think, reached the semifinals of the Europa League, which will be soon expiring um, in the grand total of things of the average. It was over seven points that season. There you go. So that's how big an impact that was. If, and Ukraine have been averaging four or around there or a bit less over the past few years as well, and then you add sort of what Russia gets, then Russia could have essentially, Ukraine could somehow drop below Russia if that continues. Do you know what I mean? And that's what's worrying. And it's like, why is that allowed to happen when they're suspended? No one's playing against them. But, oh, when they return, they no one wants them to be playing against the likes of San Marino and Gibraltar or something like that. They want to maintain their position or at least a middling position of where they are at it makes no sense to me so that's something that Shrachenko I think is 100% going to have to deal with um, the recent you know random comments that Chefrin's been dealing with uh, been saying uh, uh, more more worrisome stuff like oh Israel and Ukraine qualifying for the Euros is a security risk and stuff like that it's just completely pointless and also puts it puts the game into disrepute from his respect that if neither of them make it and there are some dodgy decisions or something like that, was there any sort of behind the scenes? Possibly or probably not, but it's like, why are you adding fuel to a fire that's not needed at all? FIFA as well. Obviously, UEFA wanted to bring back like under-17 teams and all that kind of stuff, whereas FIFA, I don't think I've 100% declined on that, but it's like, is that going to be coming back anytime soon in the future who knows and at that UEFA congress congress that Shevchenko was at i'm pretty sure um in the voting which was grouped all together so that about like i don't know 15 or 20 plus different votes literally you put your hands up and say yes or no all went at the same time with the same answer and in one of those there was a woman who's the head of the russian football women's association or something that was elected to some kind of board or committee for UEFA who I think abstained from both votes so fair enough on that respect but it's just like why is that happening you know what I mean makes no sense to me so that is something that Shevchenko is certainly going to have to deal with going forward however at the moment he's also um, been have, making talks with like I think he met with up with people from France, from Italy. Of course, he's got really good ties there. Um, Croatia, something that we'll be touching on later. In regards to Croatia, 
is he wants to follow a youth their youth model in terms of how they've been scouting all their players and foreign talents that are living abroad and how they're bringing them into sort of the national team setup and academies and all that kind of stuff. So that's something that he is very heavily focused on after, I guess, the last two years since the full-scale war began, a kind of a neglect from that or not pro- non-prioritisation by OAF previously. So that will be interesting to follow and, and how that's going. And there has been developments of... Certain players that we'll be touching on later that have are being looked at and are being being approached, and there's hopes for them to represent Ukraine at at some youth level going forward. So there isn't issues uh, beyond where they end up playing for another country or something like that. So we'll see how that progresses for sure. Uh, another thing I want to touch on just very quickly: Shevchenko made a public visit to Adidas. Um, Adidas HQ where he met the president or CEO of Adidas and they both shared it on their own Instagram stories is that an indication that potentially Joma has has had a replacement found for it we'll have to wait and see I'm not entirely sure when that contract ends it might be this summer might be beyond who knows but the fact that that was so public I think it must be signaling towards something Let's see what happens. There have been, uh, I've seen some kind of dissatisfaction with the Adidas rumours on the basis that apparently Adidas are still working in Russia or something like that. However, Adidas themselves say that they pulled out in 2022 and that there is no more business there that's officially run by them kind of thing. So I guess that's something that will have to be delved into deeper, similar to how it was with, with Joma and all those scandals prior to when, if that deal ends up happening. And um, I think on the topic of those sort of uh, trips abroad, per se, it's time to hark it back to the domestic policies. I think the most interesting things in particular um, that have really hit the headlines over the past few weeks is referees reform. And uh, meetings with the PFL and the UPL club representatives. So I think actually, I know that Ray's been following this a bit. What can you explain to us about the referee reform, Ray? Um, Give us a bit of a a debrief on everything that's gone on. The main thing to mention is that uh, Katarina Monzul is now in charge of the referees. And uh, they're going to be a lie detector involved uh, to check the... I believe, the competence of the referees in question. And that's a questionable in innovation because, um, well, it's there's no, there's no point doing it. There, it was no, there was no reasonable explanation given yet as if why would we use these um, this kind of approach. Um, I mean, if you start with UPL, I guess you should start it from, I don't know, Rayon or Oblast level all the way there to check the guys there. So it would start from the bottom and it would appear as the clean peak of justice in uh, football, uh, in footballing law. Uh, in terms of Monzul being in charge, there are rumors that the, the referees who are tidy and clean and uh, they care about the rep- uh, their reputation. They respect her. The ones that are dodgy and uh, cheeky don't really 
pay much respect to her. It's a it's a good it's a good change because she is from Ukraine <laughs> to begin with. She has a decent reputation, even though she was a huge fan of VAR back in the day, and her career is rather a Hollywood story because she has been on on top level for about five years. Because first time we heard about her was I believe five years ago when she appeared in Persia and now she's in charge. So I think it could tell us that she's rather a competent candidate. I have no questions to her. Um, <laughs> I believe that the Obolon coach would disagree with me, but we're not going to ask him about that. You know what I mean? Uh, future seems cloudy, but with a chance of overcast. Ever the optimist. Ever the optimist. Uh, interesting times ahead with Monzel. Yeah, well, it's At just... Worth, yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, Monzel, as a result of taking this new head of referee's role, she has now retired from refereeing. She, so she can't referee and do that. Uh, so that is one of Ukraine's most or Ukraine's most elite referee retired. So as a result, I think we're going to have to be looking into, or Monzel will be having to look into the recruitment of referees going forward, how they are going to stop, for example, briefcases uh, being delivered to referees or stuff for uh, games and all that kind of thing. And, and like Ray says, how are lie detectors going to be impacted? Like, what what impact are they going to have? Like, what are you going to sit them down and say? Have you taken a bribe for this game? Like, what what what? How will the lie detector work? Okay, it's not foolproof. I'm pretty sure. I think I know that there are lots of ways that you can measure different things, like heartbeat and all that kind of stuff. But what if there are external circumstances that? impact your heart rate or so you know other things it's it's not foolproof um there's also the the selection of um referees for games will be selected by like champions league draws kind of thing so it's completely random so that is meant to somehow tackle corruption and that kind of thing but similarly once those draws are made and that's made public then a club can approach that referee anyway can't they through whatever means so it's like that's also not foolproof so i mean it's it's interesting and i'm i've got faith in monzel of course like ray says high reputation one of the most respected referees in ukrainian history per se from you know everything that she's done luciano lucci who's had plenty of scandals as head of of referees over the past few years is apparently gone now um so we'll have to wait and see how that goes forward. Before we move, I mean, what else? Right. What? What? If there was one thing in particular you want to see from Shevchenko over the next twelve months, what would it be? I would like him to fix the football pitch in my yard in Obolon. He's also from Obolon. He should take care of that. Definitely. I mean, top priority. I think the TV deal. Is something that I think is certainly needs to be prioritised and worked on a lot. Right now, the UPL has launched the UP UPL TV. Obviously, at the start of the season, we had a similar UPL TV, but some matches were on Magogo, some matches were on uh, Ruk TV, where they were only showing their own games. 
Some games were on um, Football Hub, uh, two plus two, and then toward throughout the middle of the campaign in the first half of the season, Krivbas just started broadcasting their games on their YouTube channel, and then everything just went mental. And now we're coming into well, we've started this second half of the campaign, and what have we got? We've got a centralised system, more or less. 13 out of the 16 teams in the UPL are part of this UPL TV package. So their home games are 100% on there and the majority of the away games that they're playing are also on UPL TV. And you can watch UPL TV on any of the sort of big Ukraine streaming platforms like Sweet TV, Volya, all these other places, Satanta, but not Magogo for now. Rumours that they might get involved in the coming weeks and that might prevent any of those issues where some people who have got a subscription to Magogo want to watch UPL but now they have to go and get a subscription to Satanta or somewhere else and it's like well why are you adding this on uh, just for the sake of the UPL kind of thing and on top of that uh, they've also made international distribution so I think there's packages in Czech Republic and other play other countries in Europe that are showing it. So it's like Go Sport or Go Heat or something like that. That's streaming there. In places like I think Luxembourg where Adams right now, um, in France and elsewhere, you can watch it on one football. But the only sort of selection I think that you can have for that is pay per game, which is like 199 euros or dollars or whatever per match that you'd have to pay to watch it. And then in the US, Canada and the UK, you can watch on watchupl.com. And there are three different price packages where um, for the remainder of this season, so until May, three months, two months almost, uh, you can pay $99 for all games of the remainder of the season. Um, or for your follow your club where you get all the games of your club that you want to follow. Uh, that's $40. And per game, if you just want to watch one match, that's $499. So I guess around three euros or something like that. However, as I mentioned, in this entire package that I've just been talking to you guys about, it's 13 teams included in that. Not all 16. The other three are still on Football Hub. Um, and 2 plus 2, 2 plus 2. They are being shown for free on YouTube and on terrestrial TV or wherever it's showing. But when you put it that into context, for example, the UK, US and uh, Canada streaming, you know, $99 seems quite a lot for like a package price all at once for not to watch, for to not include those three teams and those three teams are Dynamo, Dnipro one and Zoria. So there have been some complaints. Some people are just working around it by uh, using a VPN and just watching on sweet TV or somewhere like that, or waiting for Magogo to come back or trying to find streams and that kind of thing. And it's like, why wasn't there maybe a focus group of some kind where fans from the U S Canada, the UK, or any consultation with any of them or sort of like an online form or, or something like that 
to ask like how much are you willing to pay you know all that kind of stuff because people are willing to pay but it's like there has to be a product that i think that matches the price for example um because at the moment this watch upl tv or watch upl.com uh is just resubmitting the signal that you watch in ukraine so it's ukrainian commentary the studios that are pre-match and post-match you can watch on youtube anyway they're also in ukrainian very good they remind me of sort of football a one two three uh back in the day you know where you got a pitch side reporter talking to people like shivchenko or or others and you've got the studio that's going to be looking at highlights looking at build-up that kind of thing experts in the studio to talk about um the games but realistically, why would someone who's not Ukrainian pay for that if they can't listen to that or hear about it or any of that? So how is that expanding the league or or the brand or anything like that? I understand it was all very last minute, speedy, typical Ukrainian football where they only released all of these details literally two days before the season resumed from its winter break, even though they had the whole winter break to do it in. But let's see what, what will happen in the summer. And how they're going to go forward with that. Maybe they've got some ideas, maybe or or something like that. That could appeal to a wider audience. So it's it's I think it's it's got to be worked out a lot better. And let's hope that come the summer or over the next few months, there's going to be looking into this and how this can be refined and bettered and all that kind of stuff. So let's see. Let's see where that goes, but rant over. <laughs> fair play, fair play. For me. I just want to see transparency for the first time in my my lifetime. Anyway, it's uh, I know it's sometimes a pipe dream, but I just want to see where the money's actually being spent. Because certainly in the last regime, we never knew, and that's one of the reasons why it came to a such a abrupt end as it has done. So, Shevchenko, if you're listening, over to you. We look forward to seeing it. Now, as Andrew mentioned, fans are back and we do have this new TV deal. Has it had any impact on the performances on the pitch? Now, it was last Friday, wasn't it, when the, the league got back into action? Top of the table, Creed Bass faced uh, LNZ with all their new players. Minus one naughty Luxembourg had arrived in Ukraine a little too late. Um, they took place in uh, Kovalivka, didn't it? And Andrew, you saw that game. How, how did Creed Bass look? I mean, next week, of course, they're facing Shakhtar in a, an, an early sort of title shaper. So are they in good form going into that? Absolutely. I think uh, they certainly looked a lot better than LNZ. And we mentioned this in the last pod, for anyone that listened. Ray actually touched on it in particular with um, Krivbas haven't made that many signings this winter. And I think that's not been like a plan in bringing too many in. Um, since the last pod, I think they've only brought in one newcomer. And I think that was um, Nicolas Santini, who came from FC Sion, French centre-back. And he started on the bench. And bear in mind that in this particular match, Beskorovani didn't play. Um, and also I think Kozhushko was missing too, 
who were both key players in the first half of the campaign. And then you see what happened with the uh, with the lineup that that Vernadub started with. He brought in Prince Adu, who had made his first appearance for the club. Looked really sharp, you know. Ghanaian centre forward uh, had a few chances in the first half, then ended up converting um, in the second and more or less sealing uh, the tie per se, before Dennis Kuzik's really good curler um, of a finish that sort of sealed the deal. And they just look really well-oiled. That's something that you can you can say about the first half of the campaign as well. Werner Dorb knows what he's doing. Um, I would say that he's, he reminds me a bit of a, a Sean Dyche um, in terms of his footballing philosophy. It's, it's probably more attractive. Um... But also, it's just that there's a lot of organisation. Everyone's well drilled, and the players know what they're doing um, on the pitch. And there are some good combinations there. Even when the players probably aren't the best on paper in the league, he's doing a lot more with his squad than than they should be doing, and that they're overachieving with. And and it's really good to see. And it sort of, I guess, gives positive thoughts or positive signals for the remainder of the campaign that maybe they won't fall off and they will be challenging until as late as they can be, even with Shakhtar coming up um, so imminently. But yeah, it's exciting stuff. LNZ on the other hand, as I'm, as Adam mentioned there, uh, Luxembourg international Olivier Till is back in the UPL with... Ex-international for now um he might be back at some stage if he picks his form up uh going on here i saw a photo of him in training recently he's got a septum piercing um that he had uh in training which is a rarity i think amongst players i've not seen that sort of in training photos or even during the game or something like that interesting nonetheless but i think that's quite a coup if they can if lnz can somehow get him into the form that he had he was playing for vorskla he will be huge for them, really influential. And it's something that LNZ really need because in that particular game against Kribbas, lack of creativity. They've brought in a few foreign players across the pitch um, and they looked okay. But that chemistry is not there yet in particular. And I feel that Oleg Dulub is probably not the manager to be managing this team, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Right, Ray? Uh, I would agree with you there, Andrew. Uh, looking at the team, uh, everybody says that in, in the league right now, uh, Colos has a decent team. Uh, and they have ambitions because they signed uh, in Son, the ex-UPL president, as their sporting director. And one of the, his priorities, uh, like the club's priorities that he announced was joining the, uh, I believe, Conference League. Yeah, because <laughs> since we started talking about the uh, league, the European leagues, yeah, it's probably Conference League at best. But in terms of LNZ, I would say that they are much more promising than Colos. Because Colos is a stalemate. Colos is a club uh, fairy tale, club symbol, the anti-fairy tale, so to speak. 
anti-myth and anti-legend is the worst and the best thing that happened to Ukrainian football in the last 10 years in terms of their story from Rex to Riches and what they represent now. So in that context, LNZ is not being uh, managed by the right person. Kovpak would probably be a better fit, but something happened last in the beginning of the season. So he was, I think he was the first sacking of this season uh, within coaches. So yeah, it's, it's, it's on them. What can I say? It's on Cherkasy, right? As we know them, you know, newly promoted team really deserve to stay up, up top. Unlike Minai or Zoria, you know, but it, it's not looking good so far. And I think it's not the only person who is not char- who is not in charge of the right team. Um, and somehow I, I want to mention Vernidov here. I don't know why. Because, you know, uh, as you mentioned, Andrew, they're, they are looking good and they're a promising team and they're rather a silver lining for uh, years to come. But let's not forget uh, <laughs> uh, which team is that, where, where where this team is from and uh, who where is our president from. And let's not forget that Dynamo and Shakhtar have points to collect. So I believe in five match days, we're going to see Shakhtar up top and Dynamo second, just as, as we used to. And one last thing that I wanted to chip in about the uh, TV product. Uh, I found a picture while you guys were chatting. <laughs> I found the picture of uh, the plans of uh, UPL, oh, sorry, UAF for UPL TV. And it, it is same as the coefficients we discussed. It's the same plan for three seasons. So this season, obviously, it's a mess because they are only starting. But they're starting well, let's say. It's a, it's a good start. No questions. And one of their... Uh, bullet points is gathering the audience so they only gathering the audience and i would say you know 2024 started and i would say that this year is like the primary year for ukrainian football not because forget over everything that was before but that bullet point it has much more meaning than we we would believe like we all we've been talking to like we want to see upl abroad we want to see upl as marketing attractive product and that bullet point matches everything. It sums up everything which is our mind, you know. But the question is, are the fans in Ukraine ready for that magnificence? And I guess looking at the other fixtures that took place over the weekend, it's notable to see that out of the top five, only two teams won. So I think that's pretty key. So that was, of course, Krebas. But the other team was Dynamo. Uh, Dynamo seeing off Metalist 925 despite the long-awaited comeback of Denis Harmash. Of course, it was inevitable when written in the stars that he starts, he scores the opener, everyone goes crazy. He gets booked in the first half and he's subbed at halftime um, to sort of sum up a perfect debut return to the UPL. And... Of course, despite going 1-0 down, Dynamo ends up winning 4-2. And I think that scoreline, apparently, I think four or five times this season for Dynamo Kiev. So they know how to get goals, despite their defence being relatively leaky. And I mean, if we look at the stats at the moment, Alexander Shrovkovsky, under his tenure, since Luchescu left back in, I think, November time, when he lost to Shakhtar, if you remember. Five out of five wins in the UPL under Shrovkovsky. 100% record. And 
going forward, you know, they've got some favourable fixtures, Veres, Trondamoritz, these others, and they've got plenty of games in hand as well. Three on Dnipro 1, Polisia and Krivas. So if they win all three of those games in hand, per se, they're going to be up at the top by three points. So interesting times ahead for Dynamo Kiev. Vanat's continuing his goal-scoring form, looking really sharp, real poacher of a, of a centre-forward. Nine goals this season. He's top of the goal-scoring charts. Then you add Bujalski in there just behind him on eight. He's contributing. The defence is a problem. And at the moment, Dynamo have not signed anyone this window. And it's unlikely they will sign anyone. And because of the centre-backs they've wanted to bring in, the quality of them, no one wants to come in terms of to Ukraine, the, the really good ones. And the lesser ones are too expensive to justify paying that. And then also risking them sort of leaving a la Justin Lonbike or, or, or something similar. And I mean, Ramadani, who came last winter, played like four games, less than 40 minutes game time. And he's already been loaned back to Shkendia, where, where he came from. So that's not really a problem at the moment. I think towards until the end of the season, this could be okay from a, from a Dynamo perspective. I mean, they've got Taras Mahavko, 18-year-old who used to play for FC Lviv, uh, made his debut for Dynamo, played there, looked pretty good. It was actually his counterpart um, alongside him. Dennis Popov, who looked a lot more shaky and suspect in, in certain passages of play. And I mean, Metalist 925 didn't create that much and scored with both opportunities. So against better teams, it might be a bit harder because obviously Metalist 925 down, down at the bottom. But you'd expect with the transfers that Metalist 925 have made, they'll probably pick themselves up uh, before the end of the campaign, especially with uh, Yurchenko coming in, Skripnik being the manager, bringing back that, Diamond formation, per se. And Raymond Owusu, who scored, come back after being away for two years following playing for Zoria in the past under Skripnik there. So it's interesting. It's interesting to see how Metalist 925 continue because they weren't that bad. It's just the second half, they were just out on their asses, really. Um, Dynamo look a lot sharper, a lot fresher. In particular, Shaparenko really impressed. Looks to be back to his pre-injury best. Let's see how long that can continue form-wise. And, you know, if he if he plays well in the next few games, there I'm sure there'll be a chance for him to get a recall um, to the national team for the Bosnia game. So that'll be interesting to see for certain. And then elsewhere, Nipro won, drew one all shock draw against Minai in a game that was interrupted three times due to air raids. Once um, there was a delay before kickoff, which meant that kickoff was delayed by 40 minutes. Then the first one in game, about 14 minutes in for about half an hour, 40 minutes. Then another one after 26, 27 minutes. So just after 13 minutes of more game time, another delay and they weren't out for another half an hour before the game was completely finished, uh, per se. One all, Remenyak scored for Minai, who had 
plenty of newbies in their squad. However, the majority of the players actually started were ones that were already there that maybe not have been given a chance as much in the first half of the season they were given it. And they played pretty well. They missed a penalty as well, which was slightly controversial that it was given. But uh, at the end of the day, one or draw, fair enough. Vladislav Vakula, he's back in football. He's at Menai now, signed officially. He looked okay when he came off the bench. But seven points from 16 games for Menai all season, still winless. Do I see them staying up by some miracle? Maybe by a miracle, but by footballing ability and sort of on the pitch, I highly doubt it. I'm not going to lie. And that goes to the same for Veres Rivne. They're down there at the bottom. They've got a bit more of a possibility to make it out, though, just because of the point situation. However, they've brought in a few players here and there. This window, three loans from Polisia, of course, Ivan Nadein and Hennady Butskevich, quite close friends these days after I think they did a podcast appearance and um, last year. But nonetheless, you look at the squad and you think, has it really got the quality to stay up? And when you compare it to the team they're facing on the weekend, uh, Colos, who look really good, in my opinion, like maybe they might not challenge for these top European spots, but they're a, they're a solid UPL outfit. Plenty of pedigree, plenty of experience in their squad across across the team. They've brought in some decent signings this window as well. And it looks like some of their better players that may have not been performing so far this season are starting to pick up. In particular, um, for me, Andriy Totovitsky, who came in the summer, had a few injuries, has finally been able to recover and you know get back to his best in the mid-season break. And with two assists, he looks to be the kind of player that we saw him play at Desna. And then you add to that, they've brought in Gittis Paulaskas, who's a sort of a giant centre-forward, Lithuanian one who scored in his debut. He looks like another good addition to the team. And Dmitro Topalov on loan from Shakhtar, who has been given the opportunity to actually play in his actual position at left wing rather than playing left-back or anywhere else utility that when he was at Shakhtar where he was deployed. So maybe we'll be seeing him getting back to the best where we saw him perform quite well when he was at Mariupol two years ago plus. So interesting times uh, for Colos. They've got a really good goalkeeper, Kirill Ofosyon, um conceded only 10 goals all season in 16 games. It's a, the best defensive record in the league. In general, You'd hope that maybe Fusion might get some opportunities for the under-21s, but so far, Neshiret has been really good for them as well. So it's just, you know, ironic that after however many decades, Ukraine have always had to have just one goalkeeper that has had very little competition for the spot. It looks like there's a proper generation of goal, young goalkeepers that Ukraine have got at the moment. Lunin, of course, Trubin, um, Riznik, um Bushan, I'd say he's he's in the upper echelons, maybe moving away from that. You've got Fasion, you've got Neshiret, got plenty of other keepers um, as well, making a, making a name for themselves. Uh, Isenko at Varskla, others. So it's it's and Kirichenko's just joined LNZ. It there's and Kurchenko's just joined LNZ. There's plenty of 
competition. And it's just a shame that all of it has come sort of in one generation. But yeah, certainly, certainly something, uh, an interesting thing to, to, to keep tabs on from that perspective. Uh, elsewhere in obviously the top five race, uh, we saw Uruk take on uh, Policia. One all draw. I think Duruk have taken four points from two games against Policia this season. So that's quite a good return. Um, Policia sadly lost their key man, their talisman, Benny Makawana, to, um, I think, hamstring injury of some kind, which means he's going to have to be operated on and he probably won't be coming back until next season, which the player himself confirmed on his own Instagram and the club too. It's that's a real blow for them in their sort of chart chances for you know top three medal spots because he's like their main creative outlet. Um, let's see how how they cope without him. Of course, they brought in a load of new players uh, that ended up making some of them making their debut. Fortune, Talos Costa, he looked really good. Um, let's see how they continue. Alexander Nazarenko is coming back from injury after his sort of early one in the season. So maybe he can make up for what is being lost from, from Makawana. Let's see how they continue. Ruch as well, they've not really made many signings at all. Uh, lost Sapuha, their, their captain, to injury. He's out for the campaign, which is a, it's a blow at centre defensive mid for them. However, we'll see how their new Brazilian forward signing, Cliver, ends up playing. He's just come in. They've also lost um, their Brazilian, I think, Edison, who who left for Mexico or somewhere like that, and Viv Solomon uh, very recently to China. So there have been outgoings and like key starters in the team there. Let's see how they cope without that. Maybe the blooding of some new young talent, um, to see the least. But how much motivation those young players have got with the fact that a lot of them are unable to, I guess, make moves elsewhere because you hear that a lot of the, that the club wants quite substantial fees for players who I guess are still relatively unproven. <clears throat> so we'll see where that goes. Uh, I think Ray ended up watching Obolon versus Toronto Moritz. What was that like? Obolon played their first game after the winter break and it was their best game of the season so far. They played against Toronto Moritz, uh, which caused some trouble to some teams in the first part of the season, and they were expected to be the favorites of this one, but Obolon applied the best traditions of gegenpressing by Jurgen Klopp, and I think he's consulting Obolon after retiring from Liverpool. A great game, 20 shots, one shot from Toronto Moritz, one goal, uh, but Obolon was just, as commentator of the match said, they looked like they are the European contenders. And, you know, on 87th minutes, there's been chance Obolon, Obolon going through the stands. And you realize that whatever you say about comparing Ukrainian football, like I said previously, with Austrian or Polish football, which product should we have? The fact that you can hear those chants is uh, worth 
everything and you just want to thank the Ukrainian Armed Forces for the opportunity in general it's been a promising display and let's hope that Obolone has the strength to take it to the next round yeah and just to close off the match day I think quickly uh, Zoria beat Vorska 1-0 Basic um, on his debut scored the winner I mean, both of these sides, I think, will be scrapping mid-table in the end. Zoria might be able to recover if the forwards that they've signed end up coming through. Because at the moment, I think uh, Endor has got visa issues. So they're waiting on the visas to, to come and then play in Ukraine. That'll be interesting to see what kind of impact he will have on there. I think in the end, they decided not to go for Mata and Dai, which is, you know, a shame for us... Uh, nostalgia UPL fans because you know he's he's one from from a few years ago that everyone remembers quite well and of course where would the UPL returning be without some controversy and scandal Shakhtar continued their bad start to 2024 with a 0-0 draw against Alexandria however despite looking relatively flat in that game Kevin made his debut you know, in the UPL, he didn't look particularly creative. Kriskiv was playing as like central defensive midfielder. It was all relatively, you know, interesting to watch. But ultimately, Chukdar lacked any real bite. Maybe you can say it was fatigue from the travel from Marseille uh, and all that kind of thing. But they just didn't have the killer instinct in the end. And Alexandria under Rotan set up really well and kept them at bay. And that's, I think, the kind of thing that Rotan's Alexandria are pretty good at. They they know how to set up against teams. It's just that actually scoring goals is more of a problem. However, this game ended nil-nil, but there is, I think, a 99 to 100% chance that Alexandria will be given a 3-0 forfeit loss for it because uh, they fielded Ivan Kalushny in this game, the famous one that went to Kerala Blasters. He was on loan at LNZ for the first half of the season. However, he was recalled and came back to Alexandria for this second half, but he was not re-registered with Alexandria. And that was something picked up after the game itself, I think possibly by a Shakhtar official. And as a result, it means that Kalushny was ineligible to play for Alexandria in that game because he was not registered to Alexandria. And yeah, they're going to be punished by a 3-0 technical loss, most likely. Funnily enough, Ivan Kaluzhny was actually one of four Player of the Week nominees in the, by the U, official UPL website and Instagram page. And after this news filled out through and Alexandria admitted that it was a mistake of human era and the sporting director will be taking a back seat or, or something like that. The UPL had to re-upload the voting system and left it to only three <laughs> uh, players. So without Kalushny, of course. So poor, you know, poor Kalushny, poor Alexandria and the Rotania that they've had to, you know, hard fought draw now is a loss. But for Shakhtar, it's big in that perspective because it's another three points for them and it gets them slightly closer to that title charge where you know as Ray mentioned earlier 
it seems like, I, well, I wouldn't be surprised if the top two end up being Shakhtar and Dynamo in the end. Uh, but before we go, I mean, we're only three weeks away from uh, the national team getting back into business as well. And uh, there's been a bit of movement in that now. And but let's run over it quickly. Um, Shevchenko's confirmed that there's going to be a, a camp in Marbella for domestic-based players 10 days before Bosnia, before the match against Bosnia. Not 10 days from now or 10 days from the weekend, depending on when you uh, listen to this. Um a few, few players around Europe are sort of stepping up as well, sort of making their names. So I know, obviously, we've spoken about Yami Luck for a while, and he's actually sort of took a backseat almost at Brentford over the last few weeks, which maybe will take him out of the limelight. Brajko, potentially, Bezos. It's, it's, it's funny, whenever it comes to national team selection, he seems to put in a good performance and becomes part of the conversation again. Andrew, any chance, any chance at all of him crawling his way back into a squad? Uh, probably not, but I did just want to mention him in, in the running order because uh, I think it's worth mentioning uh, how well he's doing over in Cyprus. <laughs> he, he scored against the, he scored again this weekend uh, for Amonia against uh, Aris Limassol, who are like top two in the Cypriot League. Um, he's been scoring free Rome this year and over the course of this season. Obviously, he had that really good run in the Conference League qualifiers right at the start of the year where he was like, scoring um, in consecutive games. And if we look into his stats, let me just read them out for you. We've got uh, Roman Bezos is currently on seven goals in the Cypriot League. Um, and, you know... 33, he probably can't run very well anymore, but but he might be someone to bring on in the last minute to, you know, try and create something because he, he gets a few assists here and there. Um, he's quite creative, solid on penalties, especially with these being sort of like knockout games. It might go to penalties, you never know. Um, I think it would be quite interesting to have him in all honesty, you know, compared to the likes of someone like Pichalionok, who obviously has been involved in recent camps uh, for Ukraine, but rarely ever gets a chance to come on, you know, comes on in the far, last final minutes, but can't really have that impact. Whereas Bezos, in the past, has had impacts for Ukraine. Um, someone that I would I would call upon, but as far as I'm aware, I don't think we're going to be expecting any real surprises in the Bosnia in the Bosnia and potential final squads. Really, um, from that perspective, you mentioned Brashko there, possibly, just on the basis that he's been playing quite well. Um, for Dynamo Kiev, uh, we've seen that Stepanenko has had his injuries. Uh, people are saying he's getting on a bit as well, maybe n unable to play the full 90 minutes. Sidor Chuk, as much as I know national team managers love him and he probably will get selected, I feel that Brashko might be more of a an interesting player 
to bring on in that position um, going forward. And I mean, if it's going to be a domestic camp, uh, I feel that maybe some of these under-21 players will be getting an opportunity to get involved with this squad, at least temporarily, before their own matches um, that they've got planned. So I think they're going to be playing Azerbaijan away in March. And that's like around the same time when Ukraine under-23s, i.e. the Olympic team, have got a friendly against Japan. In Japan. So who's going to be in that under-23 squad? I have no idea at all who's going to be involved in that and what the purpose of it is at all if it's meant to be a warm-up match for the Olympics. If, you know, half the players can't be involved and things like that. However, that being said, players like Artem Bondarenko, who probably won't be getting into the Ukraine senior squad and can't play for the under-21s anymore, he'll probably be involved in that, realistically speaking. And then you'll have others as well. I think uh, Sirota is in there uh, and another mix. Albeit, I feel that the core selection process that Rotani probably can pick from come the Olympics probably will be from the under-21 mix of camp and obviously the elite players that are already in the, uh, mm-hmm. already in the senior squad. So we'll have to wait and see uh, regarding that. But... Um, I think it's exciting. It's exciting times. And the fact that Brebrov wants to have this camp so early uh, prior to the thing just shows how important it is to qualify for the Euros. Albeit over the past few years that we've had this pod and we've spoken about it, they've always been like month camps. They've been uh, weekly camps. They've been two-week camps and all that kind of thing. And, you know, it hasn't worked out amazingly all the time hopefully this time round it will be beneficial all the foreign based players will still be linking up with the team four days before the bosnia game so bear in mind that's probably only going to be one or two days in marbella if ukraine is still there then ukraine are going to have to fly to bosnia two days before the game and then the day before have training in bosnia so it's mm-hmm. like and a lot of the team now is foreign-based. Well, let's just say it's kind of an even 50-50 split. So let's see how let's see how that all works out. Definitely. So it's interesting times. I'm looking forward to hearing what Jerry's got to say about sort of the future as well. Because I mean, there's a lot of Ukrainian talent scattered around Europe now and it's, it's Really intriguing what the future holds as well. Never mind the present, which, as you've said for a long time, Andrew, 2024 is going to be a great year for Ukrainian football on the international stage. So, oh, yeah, I can't wait for it to get going. Can't wait for it to get going. Now, it's a pleasure to have uh, Jerry Luchka on here, uh, England youth scout. And he's recently been on quite a few Ukrainian uh, media sites, YouTube channels, chatting a bit about some of the Ukrainians that have ended up coming over 
to the UK since obviously the full scale invasion started. But also there are a few Ukrainians that have been living in the UK um, or even been born here that are currently going through the ranks of youth academies across the country. So I think it would be in context of what Shevchenko, Andrei Shevchenko has been talking about recently as the new UAF president, where he says that one of his goals will be to focus on scouting youth talent across Europe as a result of a lot of players moving and trying to ensure that there's a connection there so that Ukraine can replicate a similar model to what Croatia have done after the Balkan Wars in the 90s, where they extensively looked at players that were in Spain, Germany uh, and other countries and ended up getting them to come back and represent the national team in whatever form. So I think from the off, Jerry, someone that you've been talking about a lot recently is uh, Zach Bauman. That's he, right. um, he's 17 year old central midfielder, uh, plays for United. And he's also England youth international, if I'm not wrong. You've got quite a close connection with him, haven't you? I have for sure. And uh, uh, when I was working at Manchester United, uh, I was uh, uh, the uh, the academy scout, uh, one of the academy scouts in the northwest. Um, I also ran a development centre, a satellite centre for Manchester United. Um, so at the time, Manchester United had these satellite centres dotted all over the place and they would uh, would get the local scout to go and recruit the best boys in the town bring them into the uh, little development centre and, uh, and and progress the lad. And then the lads who were the highest performers would then go into the cliff at Manchester United. Um, and then if they performed really well at the cliff, then they would get, uh, get signed at the academy under nine. So... It was uh, one of one of my responsibilities was to go out and have a look at grassroots players. And uh, uh, one evening, I went up to uh, to a school um, where a very good friend of mine, Dave Flickcroft, you'll know Dave. He, he runs a soccer school called Strikers. Um, and I saw, I saw this uh, this this kid, this ginger haired lad, um, real bright boy, only six, um, and. Uh, Real bright lad, and he was the the standout player in the in the group. And I thought, wow, you know, this is a kid that uh, you know I've certainly got to get eyes on, and certainly got to get him into the centre. Little did I know that he was from uh, from Ukrainian parentage. So anyway, I got his details, and I I rang his mum up, and uh, his mum said uh, she said, yes, I know about you. Um, everybody knows <laughs> that Jerry Lutchka, he works for Man United and he comes round to scouting. And then it came to light that, uh, of course, she was from, uh, she was Ukrainian, you know. So um, I invited uh, Zach into the centre at six, um, and it was only a matter of a few months before um, he really started to excel and we moved him into the cliff and he was very popular with the coaches. They thought he was a, a really talented lad with with lots of potential. Uh, and Zach got signed at Manchester United at the age of nine and uh, he's been with them ever since. Um, and last year he was offered a two-year scholarship 
and he's in the first year of that scholarship now and uh, uh, really made uh, uh, big steps in the right direction. Very, very mature footballer now. Um, still got a long way to go, you know, um, when you've got a, a fine eye like I have. And I, I watch him and I just think, if only he did this, if only he did that. But listen, nevertheless, he's an under-17, but he does play for the under-18s at Manchester United. And... Uh, um, when we, just before COVID, I uh, was talking to a friend of mine who scouts at Manchester City. He's a Polish lad. And I said to him, I said, listen, I'd like to get Zach uh, nominated for a, a, a Ukraine training camp. And uh, I got in touch with a guy in, in Ukraine. Uh, I forget his name now. But anyway, things were going in the right direction for Zach to potentially go to a camp in Spain. But of course, then we got COVID, and everything got shelved, and uh, and Zach's never really had the chance to go and train in a in a Ukrainian camp. But this is the interesting thing: while he's been playing for Man United, some of the scouts who work for England uh, from other parts of the uh, the country actually uh, spotted, actually spotted uh, uh, Zach. And uh, um, they put him on the on the list. So he's actually a player that we are monitoring as well for potentially being an England player. Um, but of course, when you speak to Zach, um, he's very very passionate about playing for uh, for Ukraine. You know, so um, um, so. Uh, Funnily enough, I got a, a, a phone call, believe it or not, from the, the one and only Andrei Shevchenko uh, about three weeks ago. And uh, he introduced himself and um, he, he said he'd heard about me from, from Zach's agent. Um, and he's, he, he said to me that, look, if you come across any Ukrainian lads in uh, in the country, what I'm looking to do is restructure the uh, the, the Ukrainian Football Federation, and uh, he said, "I need somebody that's got eyes uh, in 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 England. So if you do come across anybody, then uh, so of course I forwarded Zach, and uh, but he'd already heard of uh, of Zach. So uh, I'm just going to keep an eye on any other lads that potentially might be coming uh, into the country or might already be in the country that I don't know about that uh, um, that we can possibly bring into a, a training camp." Wow, that's really interesting. So, yeah, as we mentioned, Andriy Shevchenko's proactively working in that direction where he really does want to ensure that no stone gets left unturned um, from a perspective of potential talent uh, going missing. And on the topic, just as I guess we can wrap up, Zach, shortly, what kind of player is he? Because I know I've read, you know, comparisons where he's like the the new skulls because of the ginger hair and he's a centre midfielder. But sort of what are his qualities? Um, and do you think that obviously he's still got development to do, probably has to build muscle and all that kind of thing, obviously, at that youth age. But what what sort of how do you see sort of the next steps, I guess, maybe the next two years that he'll stay obviously at his scholarship and then maybe um, go on loan somewhere or, or how, how does it usually work? Well, what will happen is that uh, uh, if they feel that he's progressed enough by the, the middle of his second year, then Manchester United have got a decision to make as to whether they offer him a pro contract um, or 
um, he becomes surplus to requirements, and 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 that's the cruel world of uh, of football. But having seen him just recently, I watched him at Everton. Um, I saw bits. I saw watched him at Le- against Leeds. Um, Zach has really pushed on, and he's uh, he, he's beginning to mature into a very good technical footballer. You know, his technique is uh, is superb. He's um, um, he's a very intelligent footballer. You know, out of possession, he he finds pockets of space to receive. When he gets in possession, um, he's very thoughtful with what he does. Hardly wastes a ball. You know, um, sometimes I just think to myself, you can be a little bit more proactive. You know, you can sort of grab the game by the scruff of the neck and let's get at him, you know. And funnily enough, when I watched him against Leeds, he's actually started to do that now. And uh, he's joining in attacking moves. Uh, he got into the box on one particular attack and and, and picked up on on a loose ball and struck a, a, a scored a fabulous goal from about eighteen yards out, you know, which was a great finish. Um, so, you know, in terms of his physicality, there's plenty of growth to come uh, come yet. He's uh, he's still got to fill out. Um, I mean, it's the the level is very physically demanding. Um, but where he's got the edge, and uh, it's, it's 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 his work on the ball, it's his it's his intelligence with the football, uh, and it, and his and his general technical work that's uh, that's the outstanding part of his play, you know. But of course, you've then got to be physically strong enough because uh, um, you know you've got to be able to deal with challenges from uh, from big fit big but galoops if if you know what I mean. But listen, it's it's amazing. Six months, nine months, our boy can fill out, and uh, I'll be interested to see how uh, how Zach actually develops and matures. You know, but but as a footballer, you know, he's uh, you know, there's a lot of people. You know, I've stood watching the games, and there's been a lot of people, a lot of scouts from other football clubs who have been very very complimentary about what Zach does uh, on a ball. So listen, it's a case of watch this space. Um, I certainly think he would warrant a, 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 a training camp with uh, with Ukraine. And, and listen, who knows if he keeps performing well, then he might well get a shout for for England as well. Yeah, really interesting that, and it sort of brings on that, I guess, the conversation of well, similar to what happened with Max Kilman, where he obviously has Ukrainian descent, then he ended up playing for futsal and obviously was never really looked into that deeply by the Ukrainian Association of Football. And as a result, once they actually did start looking at him, which I think was incidentally under Shevchenko, as when he was manager, it was all too late because of the football passport thing. And even with appeals to FIFA and UEFA, it didn't work out, which is a shame, but it's good to see that that's changing now. Even the fact that Shevchenko is literally a month into his job and he's actively trying to pursue, you know, the fact that Ukraine can be a lot richer in its squad depth than just having players from Shakhtar and Dynamo, whose own academies have similarly been affected by the full-scale invasion. So that is quite interesting. And on the topic of Shevchenko, I think uh, it's logical to move on to Christian Shevchenko. Um, Andrei Shevchenko's 17-year-old son. Um, who's currently at Watford Academy. I think he plays for the under-18s, or at least has played a few games for the under-18s recently, from what I've been uh, following. Uh, scored a few as well, I've heard, so he's on, in quite good form there. And literally, I think in the past two weeks or so, 
there has been news that he has been included in like a reserve lineup or a reserve list for the Ukraine under-19 squad, yeah. um, which is joint with the under-18s um, together yeah. by by the new manager there, uh, Dmitry Mihailenko. So that's quite interesting because obviously there's been lots of talk that he can, he's eligible for England, he's eligible for the US, and he's also eligible for Ukraine. So the fact that there's potential that he might be linking up with Ukraine in this upcoming camp as a result of featuring on that list is quite interesting. And I know that obviously you've seen him over the years um, when he was at Chelsea. What, what do you make of him? Yeah, I uh, I wasn't aware that uh, that Christian was actually at Chelsea at the time, and I was at uh, I was at Loughborough University watching the Premier League uh, Under Fifteens tournament, and uh, uh, I was given the team sheet, and I looked down and I thought uh, this this name sounds familiar, Christian Shevchenko. Can it be? Is it? And then. Anyway, yeah, uh, it it was of course it was it was Christian, and I only watched him in uh, in one uh, one game, but what I saw was uh, again uh, an intelligent footballer whose uh, movement out of possession was very good. You know, um, he, he looked to stretch defenders and looked to offer himself for uh, uh, for a pass. Technically, um, very assured on the ball, you know, and when he got in possession, he was uh, positive and proactive, liked to get forward. Um, but you're only talking, you're talking two 20-minute halves, you see. Um, but the little snapshot that I got off him, I thought to myself, I'll tell you what, this lad's got a, a, a he's got good potential, this boy. And, uh, and, and to be honest with you, I thought that, I was quite surprised when uh, when he, when he, Chelsea I think released him and he went on to uh, to Watford, but listen that happens all the time and in the game you know like we've talked about Kilman we've talked about uh, you know there's other players who get released by football clubs at 16 and um, they might just not be ready uh, mentally and physically at the time but the boy then bounces back and at 17 and 18 you think to yourself crikey where's this boy been hiding you know um so from my point of view if i see that the lad's got wonderful technical ability he understands the game he reads the game well he makes good decisions with the ball you know the the lack of physicality isn't a big issue for me because it's guaranteed that he's going to grow what we don't know is how tall. But when you look at the best players in the world, they're not giants, are they? You know, but my word, they're, they're fabulous footballers, aren't they? You know, so there's only what I, you know, and I, I have conversations with my colleagues and the only way we'll ever find out is in time, you know, so we'll know, say at 15, if people don't, don't fancy him. But you do. Well, the only way you'll find out is is when he's 18 and when he's 19. Let's see where he's playing then, you know. But if you but if you see a lad that's got good potential, you've got good ability on the ball and you've got that little gut feeling that this kid's a player, then, uh, you know, it's a, it, it, it's a fabulous little, uh, um, uh, you know, little quirk for, that, that, that you, you can pick up as a scout. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, that Christian, I'll be very interested to see. I don't get the opportunity to watch too much of Watford because they're mainly down south. But whenever they come up to, up to, to play against Man United and they play against Manchester City, I'll make sure that uh, I get on that game and uh, uh, and have a little look at him.
you know. But it's great that he's involved with Ukraine, isn't it? You know, and like, if we can get Zach in as well, and, uh, and if there's any other lads in this country, then by all means, let's make sure we, we enrich our squads going forward, you know. Yeah, no, I completely agree, especially with the fact that right now, I mean, in the Premier League, the first team, we're seeing like the, the most amount of Ukrainians ever playing at one time, and that's only five. So it's like, and you think of all the other countries in the world that are a lot smaller than Ukraine population-wise and everything like that, that have, you know, really excelled in the Premier League and all the sort of top five leagues and all that kind of thing. So I feel that this is, ironically, you know, the fact that obviously a lot of children have had to move across Europe and all that kind of thing, but it might inadvertently, it's obviously a bad thing through through the war, but inadvertently it might have a positive impact on the development of the national team quality going forward. Absolutely. I mean, they're playing in the best league in the world, these lads, you know, so you can't, in, ter in terms of raising the bar, you've got as high as you possibly can, haven't you? you see? If you can cut it at that level, my word, you'll, uh, you, you've got to be some player that it, if you're playing consistently at that level, you've got to be doing it because uh, of your ability, you know. And I mean, that, that just augurs well for the Ukrainian national team because if they're playing at the highest uh, highest level and cutting it at the highest level, then it's, uh, then it's good news for the, uh, for the national team, isn't it, you know. So, moving on to, I guess, players or young players uh, in particular that have moved to the UK to England since obviously the full-scale invasion. We've spoken about Shevchenko and Bauman. They have been in England for, for years, if not born here. So that's more of like they've made it through the system. They've been here for ages. I know that you have mentioned that a lot of people, a lot of Ukrainians have been getting in contact with you uh, with regards to you know, maybe their own kids or maybe some agents that know that you've got connections sort of with Ukraine and how you can help them. And, you know, with the with the stories like Bauman and others, there's a way of trying to bed that all in. Can you maybe explain a bit about some of the other, I guess, examples of players um, that have come over since? Uh, I think, in particular, one of the one of the main ones at the moment is um, Anton Dudik, who's just signed for Carlisle about a month and a half ago. Uh, made his <laughs> debut uh, last week. They they lost, but it's good that he has made that he yeah. has made that debut in in the professional game. Um, he used to play for Volin Lutsk um, in a few other clubs in Ukraine before leaving the country when the full scale invasion began. Was in Poland. And now he's at Carlisle, but maybe a bit on him and maybe the wider stories that we're hearing at the moment from Ukrainians. I mean, I only, I've only just come across this boy uh, uh, maybe about 10 days ago. Um, his, his mother rang me up and the, the, she has two sons, one, uh, one Anton and one Artem. Artem's 27 and he used to, he, he's been involved in football in Ukraine I think he's uh, he was training or registered with uh, with Shakhtar um my understanding is that he's had one international cap at under 21s um and and what it was it was his mum rang me up and said listen could you fix him up with a game somewhere or do some training so I've got a few contacts uh, in, in the non-league uh, set up at the moment you see for me I, I said to them it doesn't matter what level it is he's got to be playing 
right? So when he's playing, he can showcase his talents. And if he does exceptionally well at whatever level he's playing, he won't be at that level for long because word soon gets round and he'll escalate himself to a, a level where, um, you know, he, he, he can showcase his talents at, 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 at a higher level where he can showcase his talents. So anyway, he's done a training session at, at Berry. Um, I've not had any feedback from the manager yet, but uh, I'm just hoping that uh, that the boy can sign for them and uh, and at least be playing football. Now his brother um, Salford were very keen on, uh, uh, so um, so his brother went to Salford and he was training with them, and they had a they had an issue around uh, about around his paperwork. They couldn't get the paperwork over the line. There was there was some some issue that was that was stopping him from being registered. So in in the end, Salford, Salford said, "Look, we can't. So there's nothing we can do now." Um, so he went to the uh, he went to a the the Manchester International Football Camp, okay, which was at Salford Keys, uh, sorry, which was at Salford Sports Village, and he trained there for uh, for three or four months. And there was a guy involved with that organisation that was closely connected with Paul Simpson at Carlisle. So he's been watching him play and he's saying, listen, you need to have a look at this lad. So um, he's gone up to Carlisle on trial for two weeks. He played in the the Cumberland Cup. That was his uh, That was his first. He made his debut in the Cumberland, Cumberland Cup. He scored a goal and made, uh, made another one. And, and, and the manager thought, well, you know, anybody that's made such an impact, let's uh, let's bring him in and have a look at him. So he did make his debut against uh, Cambridge um, a week last Saturday. He came on, I think he played something like about 26 minutes altogether. Um, but unfortunately, he wasn't involved in the... Uh, in in the squad that went to Bristol Rovers this uh, this Saturday just gone, but I mean that's not unusual because you know you, you've got a young lad at nineteen you know and he's been thrown into for him to have made his debut is a wonderful achievement in itself he must have something about him because believe you me Paul Simpson wouldn't throw him in if he thought he wasn't up to the level required but he might just have given him a little taste of first team football withdrawn him a little bit and then you know they'll see that there's a player there that they can work with you know um, and then it'll just be a matter of time if they feel he's good enough then he'll be a regular first team player uh, if not then obviously he's uh, but from a from a Ukraine point of view um, you know uh, it will be very interesting I mean I'm going to Getting, I'm going to get in touch with uh, with Andrei Shevchenko and just say, look, there's this lad who's made a first team debut for Carlisle, you know. And if you've got a training camp coming up, listen, bring the boy in, have a look at him. They might already know about him. They might know chapter and verse about him. But uh, but if they don't, then uh, they certainly will do uh, in the next few days. I can assure you that. Um, and then we've got we've got the the younger boys that have had to come over to this country as a result of the war. And a lot of them have settled in the Manchester area with uh, members of the family, extended family uh, or sponsors. Um, and we're talking about lads who, who've been at like Dynamo, Dynamo Kiev um, and, uh, and a few of the other. R uh, Ruch was another one, uh, uh, boy called Stanislav. He, he played for, for, for Ruch. And... Uh, 
um, I got a phone call from uh, a friend of mine just sort of saying, listen, is there anything you can do for this young lad who was at Dynamo Kiev? Uh, he wants to do a little bit of football, you see. So I'm very well connected at Manchester United uh, and I picked the phone up and they took him in, no problem whatsoever. But they only run their development programme up to the up to the age of 14. Um, and uh, Yelise was, was 15 at the time, you see. So... Um, my good friend, uh, the Polish scout at Manchester City, said to me, listen, get them in at Manchester City because we have a city select group like a shadow squad that uh, that we keep till the age of 16. So Yelisi went over and then word got round that, that he's in at Manchester City and I got another lad, uh, uh, Anton, I got another lad, uh, Dennis, I got a lad called Yaroslav, Danilo, Medved. So there's about eight lads in at Manchester City now, you know. And and I'll tell you what, uh, uh, Andrew, I take my hat off. Manchester City have been absolutely top, top drawer, you know. And they've given these lads an opportunity, these lads who have been desperate to play football, and they've given them an opportunity at one of the biggest clubs in the world to come and train with them, you know. Um, now, they're in the shadow squad at the moment and there's a little bit of frustration with some of the lads because what they want to do is play in the main academy, you see. But but the standards and the levels are just so high, it's it's unbelievable. And, and really, this is the worst country. You, you couldn't have picked a, a, a tougher country to come and try and... Uh, break into the academy system, you know. Um, so I know Yelise has gone over to Portugal. I think he's playing for a club over in Portugal. But the other boys are still training on a regular basis and they're playing grassroots football wherever they uh, they live. But they're only training twice a week. And the complaints are that they did six days a week in Ukraine and they sort of sat at home twiddling their thumbs, thinking, like, I want to go and play football. But better to have a little bit than uh, than to have nothing, you know. So uh, that's a project that's um, that's ongoing, and I make it my business to go over to Manchester City at least once every every week or once every two weeks, just to check on the lads and uh, just to touch base with the parents to see if everything's okay. Not just on the football pitch, but is is everything all right with them, with the schooling and with their. Uh, with, with wherever they're living, you know. So um, quite a, a, an interesting job. But listen, if we can't help our own, then uh, it's it's it, there's something not right, isn't there, you know. And it's great to see that these lads are, uh, are getting regular football uh, at, at a very, very high level. No, I completely agree. And that's really interesting to hear that, like you mentioned, around eight or so kids currently in that, development squad and like you say obviously you're more focused on the northwest there's probably similar or you know yeah. there probably is pockets of ukrainians across the country doing the same so hopefully i guess over the next year or two as this i guess a scouting thing that andrey shevchenko wants to sort of bring in in terms of the focus that more names will come to come to the foray and that will work a bit better because as you say it's ridiculous. It's notoriously hard to get into like a proper academy here. But if you do, that means your level is, you know, seriously elite, and you've got great potential. Yes, and, and listen, and if nothing else, these lads are getting training 
at a very, very high level, you know. So this is only going to benefit them, you know. And a lot of the parents are already saying that, you know, the training that they do, the the it's the the physicality that they've they've really noticed has been a massive difference for them. It's not it's very physically demanding. So they're saying that our boys have had to toughen up, you know, which is great in a way because as you begin to progress and you've got aspirations of playing higher, you've not just got to be a good footballer, you've got to be as tough as nails as well, you know. And this could be a, a, a smashing little opportunity for them just to uh, to um, improve that side of their game, you know, get them mentally stronger, get them mentally tougher. Because all these lads that are playing in this uh, City Select, all of them are absolutely desperate to get into an academy somewhere, you know. So the competition is absolutely ferocious, you know, um, which uh, which will hold these boys in good stead, I'm sure. And there's two or three, there's two or three, Andrew, out of this lot who are really, really good players, you know. Um, and who knows, uh, if, they, if they do make the academy at Manchester City, all well and good. If not, there are plenty of local clubs mm. like, Know, there's Stockport, there's Salford, there's Bolton. You know, they might, the the, the lads might be at a level that uh, that can that can play with the, with them. You know, it's a case of listen. At the moment, it, as long as they're all right, that's the main thing. You know, and um, you know, we'll see if we can uh, we can pitch them at a proper at a football club uh, um, if an opportunity be, uh, arises for them. You know? Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And I mean, in general, it's sort of uncharted territory. I think for uh, Ukrainian football with so many talents here in the, in the UK and in England in particular, and fingers crossed it's, it's a positive one. Um, Jerry, thanks a lot for coming on really insightful. And I think listeners will have really enjoyed hearing about all of that. Okay. Been a pleasure. Thanks very much for inviting me and uh, hopefully see you again soon. It's been a fantastic episode. Great first one for me. I know it's your second one. I did miss you in that uh, episode back in early February. But what a way to get 2024 under underway. And it's going to be a great year ahead, great future ahead. Jerry, great insight from you. Looking forward to seeing what the future holds for Ukrainian football and what better place, unless a television deal decides to provide English language commentary. There's no other place to get it than here at Ukraine Plus Football. Until the next episode, take care, stay safe and goodbye for now. Goodbye.